Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer, and this is episode 344 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Stephanie is talking with Lawyerist Lab alum Patrick Pallas about his life after lab. Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, Postali, and Rankings.io. We wouldn't be able to do the show without their support, so stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. So, Zach, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation with Patrick um, that's coming up. Because for those who don't know Patrick, he's been in our universe for a long time, an old TBDer before, which was the precessor to LabCon and has been a part of our lab community. And I really think this, this summer we've been talking about the small firm roadmap, how to put these ideas into action that we talk about in the book. And to me, Patrick is the model of doing all of those things. He's figured this out and put it all into a great package. And now his practice is very close to where he wants it to be. He's transitioned out of the practice of all day to day and into the CEO role. And I think it's super exciting to be able to paint his story for our people listening as one to of how it could potentially look. Not that your vision or what's going to look exactly like his, but it just shows you what we're talking about in that end result. Yeah. And I think Patrick's a, a great example because it, it's not, that may not be your idea of where you want to go. But it is a good example of an idea of it. And he is making what he had done in lab, making what he had done in his practices and making a, a business, a firm that he wants to be a part of and that he wants to run. As we were thinking about this, we talk about vision a lot around here and probably sometimes people might be like getting sick of hearing about it, but <laughs> I know it, it's true. It happens. But it doesn't have to be this concrete thing. You don't have to have all the pieces nailed down. Like I was coaching a, a member of our lab community this week and him and his wife, who's his law partner, they have some ideas about what they want in the future, but they're not, they're just not quite sure of the details yet. And in our session, I was able to remind them that those fuzzy details were enough for now. That of course you're going to revisit things and reshape things and it will continue to emerge that you don't have to have this perfectly detailed things of all the things. But for them, just knowing that they wanted to go in this direction was enough to help us start going in that direction. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing is that your vision here isn't about having better vision than somebody else, being able to see something better or have it all perfectly laid out. It, it's about having an idea of where you want to go. And, and you can't get to where Patrick is now without having an idea of where you want to go. I'd venture to guess his initial vision is different than where he is now, but you, it, it's an ever evolving sort of thing, but you have to be pointed in a direction. Yeah, I think so. And then I think you have to be willing to test an experiment. A lot of people might not realize this, but we put a little intention behind the program name when we named it Lawyerist Lab. And for me, what comes up is it's not the lecture hall, right? If you're on a college mm -hmm. campus and you go to the lecture hall, in my mind, I envision this 
big room where someone's going to get up and yap at me for a while from the front of the room. And the lab is where you go and you test things and you experiment and you see what works and you see what doesn't and you get results and then you change it up. And that's the environment we're trying to create for lawyers with their business. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and, and get your hands dirty a little bit and, and start practicing and experimenting and putting things in place and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And to me, that's the fun part. That's what I love helping lawyers do and helping them figure out what experiments to run next. Yeah, Because you'll notice when you read the small firm roadmap, there aren't things that say, do this, go forth, do these six steps and everything will be perfect. It is, this is the, the, type of thing you need to be thinking about this. These are the the types of things you need to be measuring the, the types of structures you should be creating, but it's not as exact as a lecture hall would be, but it is very much let's figure this stuff out because practicing law is not the same for any two people. Yeah. And I think sometimes people struggle with that because they're like, wait, just Tell me the steps. Tell me what you, what I should do. And, and we can give you the model of the steps of what to do, but you know, how it actually shows up in your practice, how you have your assistant answer your phones is going to be different than how somebody answers else answers the phone. But we can tell you like, yeah, we need to get the phones answered. And I think that's just the inherent struggle with what we do and with businesses in general, because there is, so the good news is there is a roadmap, right? Like we lay it out. Like there, there is a process that you can follow, but you got to mold it to what's going to work for you and what's going to get you closer to your vision. And what I love about the work that we're doing inside of lab is I tell folks, you need a goal, you need a plan, and then you just, you got, you need help if you get stuck along the way. And that's how we've created this program is to help people do just that. And so I know sometimes we kind of talk about it, we talk around it, but if anyone's curious, it's just as simple as that. We get you into the program. We help you clarify that vision. So you understand those goals. We make sure you have a plan. And then we have a lot of different ways for you to get help if you get stuck along the way, or if you need help figuring out what those next steps are, which includes like working with both of us as coaches with content that we have created worksheets and templates and then community help. There's just so many different ways that people can get help. And yeah, that's it. I love it. And I think that's the thing is it's a community of labsters, of experimenters, of people that are in the same, you're in the same boat, you're in the same storm, just in, in a slightly different boat. And people are collaborating together. And I, I see people all the time as the legal tech advisor who are saying, who else is using this technology? How are they using this technology? And getting ideas and playing around with concepts that fit their vision, that fit their their own roadmap in going forward. And so I think the being able to experiment around other people who are also very capable attorneys and also very capable business runners, getting that water cooler effect at the very least mm. from just being around those people. Yeah, for sure. So we've been talking about lab all summer. You've listened now to us talk with a lot of um, labsters, which is just our fun name for what we call people in the lab community. If if this has intrigued you and you'd like to talk to us and hear, you know, what this really looks and feels like, and if it's a right program for you, head to lawyers.com slash community slash lab and you'll see all the details there and you can get on a call with us and 
I, I tell everyone like it's not high pressure sales because I don't even know how to do that. If I could, <laughs> if I wanted to so just have a chat with us, we'll talk about where you are with your business. We'll talk about where you want to go. Maybe what's getting you stuck. If we think we can help you, we'll let you know. And if it's a good fit, we'll, you know, tell you how to move forward. If we don't think we can help you, we'll politely try to steer you in a direction of someone who could or how, how we can get you help. And it's as easy as that. But we really would love to talk to you because honestly, I know this is true for you too. This is why we get up in the morning. I always mm -hmm. tell everyone I hit the professional lottery because my job is to help lawyers build healthier businesses. And I can't think of a better way to spend my day. So Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> yeah. With that, let's hear Zach's conversation with Postali and then my conversation with Patrick. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyers. And I'm here today with Jim Christie, the CEO of Postali. Now, for those of you who don't know, Postali is a full-service marketing company for law firms, which means they handle everything from search engine optimization and website building to content marketing and direct mailing. Jim, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. So, Jim, a lot of times when we talk about marketing, we talk about the kind of nuts and bolts of, of what to do with your marketing. But one of the things we don't really discuss a lot of times is the budgeting. What do you need to be putting into this marketing and, and really why? Yeah, and I think it's something that people are unsure who to go to to ask this question. Yeah. And so they tend to make a determination in their own mind, but without a lot of historical knowledge because they haven't invested in marketing before, mm -hmm. or they've received some information from the internet, which is always a really reliable place to get confused. <laughs> yeah. So I end up talking with folks who either have no idea what they should or should not be spending their money on, or they come in very guarded of not wanting to talk openly about the financial side of it. Yeah. And I'm hoping today to just talk a little bit about, about how we think about it and how I generally think that firms should be approaching their their marketing budgeting. And it's uh, it's not one size fits all. It's like everything else. It really depends on your your goals and what you're what you're after. Yeah, it, and it's not just shoot from the hip and say, "Well, this sounds like a reasonable number given how much money I make," or "This is what I would." I mean, I for me personally, I think it would really come from more of a, this is what I'd like my marketing to, to cost, but it, it, it can actually be thought out. You can actually kind of say, okay, well, this is what your marketing should cost given these KPIs or given these scenarios and goals, right? Yeah. And, and I think to even further that point, I think that it also can be thought out, but adjusted very frequently. Hmm. So a general rule of thumb, like if you if you Google this or if you talk to other folks who are business coaches, they might say that a rule of thumb might be five to fifteen percent of your revenue should be spent on marketing. Okay. I think that generally I don't really disagree with that. I think that's a good place to start, but I've seen law firms be successful with less than one percent of their revenue spent on marketing. Mm -hmm. If they're really exceptional at networking and doing things themselves and can be creative. And I've seen firms be very successful with 30 plus percent of the revenue spent on marketing mm -hmm. because their ROI is so high that they would probably spend even more if they could. And I think that's that's the equation that I always like to get people to think about is what what ROI do you expect to get out of your marketing? If right. your ROI is less than 2x, then it may not make sense to spend 
30% of your revenue on your advertising costs because your margins might not be that high. Mm-hmm. But if your ROI is 8x, then wouldn't you spend even more until you started to have diminishing returns? And I think that's the way that we tend to to talk about it of not thinking about it so absolutely, but thinking about it in the context of what do you think you can get out of this? And that's based around how competitive is your market? What practices are you in? Mm-hmm. What's your overhead really look like? So there's this huge range and a lot of factors that go into it. So it, we kind of need to know what the, I hate to say it this way, and I think people hate to think of it this way, but what is the value of each client? And what is the value of each type of client? When you when you get a client in the door, how much does that client make you? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about ROI, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And that equation gets tricky when folks have... Um, some cases that might be flat fees of $500 and other cases that might be contingencies of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, so it, to normalize that I think is counterintuitive to people, but it does help to think about it in terms of every client that comes in averages X. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you can even drill down further and say, okay, every client in this area averages X and then every client I get in this area averages Y. And then I know you've you and I have talked about this on other uh, episodes of where did this person come from? You can even drill down into every client I get from this advertising campaign. I I get, you know, it has, has this kind of ROI. So, you know, it, it sounds like the basics is you've got to know what your clients, the value of them, you know, kind of lifetime is in the first place. But you can really get into some very very detailed uh, reports on this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that might tell you for a certain type of case that you're going after or a certain geography, you're willing to expand your budget in other areas you want to contract it. I think a lot of this conversation, though, makes the assumption that you're not just starting out, right? You have this historical information. And I think we get contacted by a lot of folks, as, as I'm sure lawyers does, of, hey, I'm in my first year of starting my own. I don't really have all this data to go off of. So mm-hmm. how do I make that determination of what to spend without completely going bankrupt or, you know, having to shut, close the doors in my, my right. firm? Well, it, it sounds like proper planning, kind of proper documentation with all of this. So J- Jim, I, I could talk to you for a while on this because there's, there's a lot to really unpack here, but that's, that's about all the time we've, if people want to know more, they can always contact you guys. I, I know y'all are always happy to, to talk with people and just go to postali.com forward slash lawyerist and they can get, get in touch with yeah. you guys. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate being here. Patrick, I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Uh, You've been on with us a couple of times, both with Sam, and now I get the pleasure of talking with you. And I thought if you're up for it today, we'd spend a little time because as I've followed your, your business and your career, I think you've done an excellent job of really what everybody's aiming for, that dream of transitioning from a lawyer in the practice to the CEO working on the business. And so... I don't, I don't even know where we start, but like, think back, <laughs> you know, when, when did you first get, get that idea and, and understand that that was the path and transition you needed to make for your business? It's a great question. And, you know, everyone's going to have a little different answer who thinks about that question, honestly. In my life, I think there were a couple things that happened. One is 
that when you were a sole practitioner, and when I started, I was, uh, you do everything. You wear 23 different hats every day. And some of those hats fit great and you love wearing them and they're comfortable. And some of those hats just feel like fingernails on a chalkboard every day and you hate doing them. And I think we all know what we love to do and what we don't. And so part of my goal was to grow as quickly as I could by creating systems to do the things that I didn't like to do and to hand off those systems to people that wanted to do those things. And by process of elimination, you arrive to the concept of do what you love. And I think that's the origin and the foundation for which I've built everything here at Palace Law over the last 25 years. Yeah. I love that. I love that framing. And I think for a lot of folks, that vision comes sort of naturally for them. They they somewhat have an idea of what it is they want to build. Where they really get lost is in the process. And so how did you start? How did you even start to build this thing to where you've got it now? Well, you know, they talk about this thing. You've heard it before. Work-life balance. And it's as if there is work and then there's life. And I will tell you, I, I don't get that. I don't get that. It's all one semi-seamless, continuous flow. And one of the things that I realized in my first 10 years of practice was that I was one guy on the job and I was one guy at home. I was one guy with my kids. I was one guy litigating in in, in court and doing jury trials. And I really wanted to make him whole and turn into one person and not separate personalities who were geared to take care of a task. Warrior with a sword, loving, caring dad, right? There, there has to be a way that you can be genuine in everything you do. And I thought if I could bring uh, more authenticity and genuineness and, and empathy to working with defense counsel, with working with, with people that I'm cross-examining even, that I'd be closer to finding that bridge between my personal and my and my private life, my work-life balance, right, as, as I kind of made fun of earlier. And so that has also been something that's been significant. But it takes a little bit of stepping back and saying, where do I change personality? When does that happen? And for me, a lot of it was when I was doing things I didn't like or I felt like I had to be a certain way. You have to be aggressive here. You have to knock this stuff out. And when I let all those preconceived notions go and I let go of the tasks I didn't like to do because being a control freak doesn't ultimately grow a better business, it grows a worse business. I let go of the, I let go of the things I didn't love. My attitude lightened up. I found that going to work was a lot more fun. Coming home was just as much fun. And as I modified who I wanted to be on the job every day, I started to be more like the person I wanted to do, be not the person who I felt that I had to be to do this yeah. job. Yeah, I've always struggled with that idea of work-life balance as a phrase, but I think, I mean, if we're honest, I think people, like you just said that so eloquently and, and it seems so simple to say, you just let go of things, right? But 
was it that simple for you to just say, you know what, I'm going to hand this off and let go? Because lawyers are control freaks. I think I'm one. So I can say this, you know, we like (laughs) we like perfection. We like we're like, oh, we're only I can do this or, I, you know, no one's going to do it like me. It came for me very quickly. It's funny when you fall on a solution or the solution just finds you. And if you remind me, I'll come back and tell you how how I found the solution. But the solution was pretty simple. I had to step away from the conveyor belt of everyday work. Pleadings, pleadings, steps, steps, trial, trial, right? And as long as you're doing that 24-7 and your mind is on that 24-7 and you're grinding through it, you never, ever have the opportunity to change and you're stuck on that 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 hamster wheel and never gets better and your practice never grows and you never feel happier and you just get more stuck in 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 that in that job and your and your job becomes a prison so for me it was just a very simple idea step away from the pleadings step away see what happens and when you step away you have to be that take care of that fear of I'm not going to make, who's going to manage the clients? Who's going to take that phone call? Got to have an email. I have to answer right now, you know, and when you can just let that go and begin to what I joke about being, you know, navel gazing, doing nothing, thinking about solutions, talking about systems, doing more reading to find answers. And the farther I stepped away from the everyday work of my practice, the more work I got, the better systems we created here in the office, the better people we attracted to join us who had the same kind of vision of what life should be like, the more our core values kind of organically evolved. But really at the core of it was just stepping away, stepping away to re-envision a better, a better way to do it. You just can never do it if you're, if you're on the conveyor belt and the conveyor belt never stops. All right. So I'll remind you, how did you find the solution? I, I have spent a lot of time practicing uh, mindfulness. And I know that sounds very fair to some people, but it has very practical uh, purposes. And one of the pieces of mindfulness is just doing nothing. And I, I, I used to meditate every morning for, for an hour and then do a yoga uh, practice after that. And that hour actually helped me train my mind to stop whirling you know, that busy, busy monkey, monkey mind that you have or puppy mind, you know, it's how busy it is. It never really stops. And it helped me stop it. And then I allowed myself to go on a vacation. And when I was on vacation, the first week was like business, business, stuck to my phone, business, business. And then the second week, which was, by the way, the longest vacation of my life and the first, I realized that when I stepped away from my office, answers started to come to me. Solutions just popped into my head. You ever been in that situation when someone says, what was the name of that guy who was in that movie? And you're like, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't even get to that file. I, I just can't think of it. Right. And then like two days later, Alec Baldwin, <laughs> where did that come from? It's Alec Baldwin. Then you call the guy, Alec Baldwin, right? It, it's like that. When you give your brain some some space, answers come. And I, I think another analogy of this is like, it's just, you're running a marathon every day and you're just breathing, huh, breathe and go, breathe and go. And when you stop and catch your breath, things change. If you give your mind a moment to catch its breath and to do something other than just run the marathon at full pace, then answers come and answers come fast and hard and solutions And you're not even thinking about them. They just arrive. I call it vacation brain. And I try to give myself as much room for vacation brain as I can. And you don't have to go on vacation to get it. 
if you're kind of working on freeing your brain from the everyday work. Uh, mm-hmm. I find vacation brain when I'm paddleboarding. I find it when I'm doing yoga. I find it when I meditate. I find it when I hike. It comes to me in a lot of places now, but it took some cultivation. And that's where the answers lie. You have them all in your head. They're waiting. Did you have, like, so when you first took that vacation, kind of take us back to that first two weeks off and you said, all right, I'm going to just leave the office for two weeks. Did you have a team (laughs) at that time? Did you have some people that you were relying on? Not really. No, it was me and my wife was my office manager. And I think we had one person who stayed back to answer phones, who was like my secretary. Don't hear that word much anymore, do you? My legal secretary and my receptionist all in one. And that was it. And so when I left, I really felt like I was just, you know, leaving my four-year-old on the corner of a busy intersection and walking away. Because it was my practice and all of my, all of my clients. And it feels like a very, very big step sometimes. So I think that's so important because I think people's perception is, oh, I could never take a two week vacation. Like my entire practice would fall apart if they're just on their own. And so I'm so glad you shared that story and you shared that with us because you can do it and you did do it and you recognized very quickly all the things that you wanted to put in place for your business and how how to start kind of going down this path. So maybe fast forward now, because I I think this is super cool. And I want to give people a glimpse of like, now, what is your life like? How do you spend your days and your business? Because this is so important. So going back to our core values in in Palace Law, because when you talk about my personal life, it really is my business life. I I, think I mentioned this, it's really one and the same. The way I live my life comes out of uh, the same core values that we created for our office. And we have eight eight core values. And one of those core values is, is do what you love. And in that core value, we say this, our work life is our life work together, together with love, compassion, and joy. We do the work that is our legacy. I, I don't feel like I stray from that in the way that I try to to live. If it doesn't sound too, I don't know what, exercise is critical. I love exercising. And I don't like getting on a, I don't know, on a in a room with an exercise equipment and, and doing that. I love being outside. And so I'm out with a backpack and I'm hiking every moment that I can and shifting with paddleboarding and being out in the water and crossing across Puget Sound, uh, waves, orcas, heat, rain, it doesn't matter. It's all beautiful and amazing out there. I still practice yoga regularly, even though after a couple of years of owning uh, a yoga studio, I did end up selling the yoga studio and now don't do yoga as part of a business anymore. But those three things are for me the three legs of the stool of finding the happiness. So when I come into the office, I have the clear mind. I can, the answers are waiting for me to execute and implement. I can hear what people are saying and not rushing through them to get done what I have to get done. And those things, it's maybe it sounds counterintuitive, take more time away from work. So you can get more work done. Yeah. But it's, it works. It's real. And I think if I'm right in your, in your office now, you really are more functioning like a a typical CEO. You're not in the pleadings. You're not in the files. You might be working high level strategy and, but you're focused on building your team and training your team. And, and I think that's a huge shift for lawyers to have to, to contemplate and then make. 
my biggest job at the office. And you're right. I, I stopped practicing like an everyday lawyer a couple of years ago. It was the final step. It was the, it was the release that I let, I let go of all of my cases and don't have any caseload anymore. I get to finally, and it's not that I didn't love that when I did it. I did about 25 years. Maybe I don't love it so much anymore. And frankly, there's smart, hardworking people who do love that. And so they take it over and they do it. So now I get to do what I really, really love, which is to, to create systems, to imagine uh, a new model for practicing law and try to bring that model into our office every day. We We joke about you know, people talk about failing. We fail fast. We can succeed faster. Bring in that new ideas, try new things, give people the parts of the jobs they really want to do and they love. Let them grow their lives and, and their practice and their job and feel happy about it. I get to grow mine and do what I love. We all get to create systems. And it seems so organic that it just grows itself without having to motivate people or set up these incentives to do things all the time or or discipline people or fire people. I mean, we, we really have been able to step away from a lot of that simply by implementing systems where people get to do what they want to do. And everybody's systems make their jobs easier and happier and faster. And that's a better flywheel for taking care of clients and getting more clients and resolving cases faster. And it just seems like it self-propels. It's an avalanche coming down, very good avalanche yeah. <laughs> coming downhill. It's, it's gravity on our side. And I think every firm, every company really wants to find that gravity and turn it their direction. So it runs. And I, I think we've worked very, very hard on trying to find that. So that this office turns itself and its productivity itself rather than us having to make it happen, force it to happen. Right. And I mean, it's it because I, I know your team, it's systems and you guys are also values, so value driven. And we've already heard that in a couple of, you know, what you've told shared with us already today. But that really is the guidelines, the glue that kind of keeps your team working and all moving in the right direction. As everyone knows, they're aligned around these eight values for your team. And you guys talk about that and use that. I mean, constantly, right? That's in the day-to-day fabric of your firm. It, it is. And, you know, of those core values, I'll just run through a couple of them quickly because you'll see how they how they fit in. First one is creative, innovative, adaptable, right? Stay flexible. Number two, a trustworthy. Three, do the right thing every day. Do the right thing. God, that's so critical in your reputation and everything that you do. Someone said to me, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. We've kind of taken that in as a mantra here. A team player, that's pretty common. We really work to make a living relentless, persistent, self-motivated. I'm not there to motivate you. If you want to be here and, and do your thing, you're going to thrive if you're motivated. Do what you love. Uh, unique, diverse, authentic, real people. That's part of, I mentioned earlier, finding out who you are and bringing them to work. The same person that comes home is the same person you bring to work. And then we also touched on this one, live well, live well every day, live your best, live your best life. And so those things really are the core values of both uh, living and living in an office and living with your family that you work with. Yeah. You know, in, in our coaching, when I work with lawyers and I tell them, define or discover your core values because they're there they already exist right it, it's just a process of kind of teasing out what they are well, you know we get some pushback we get like oh that feels like woo woo or hokey or you know whatever kind of adjective you want to put on it but 
I love that you guys embrace it and really and show how these things, it really matters. It really makes a difference in your business for your team and how your business runs. So I'm always so appreciative to kind of get that real life perspective of like, no, it's worth it in, in, in making this a part of who we are with our business. You know, and it's so critical. You're exactly right. And it's so critical to not just talk it, but walk it. As you know, we have a cultural ambassador, Jordan Couch, who's also my partner in this, in this firm. And Jordan's job really is to make sure that we're living our, our values. Everybody we interview for a job, we've been expanding a lot recently. And every new person that we can, we consider to hire has to go through a cultural interview to make sure that they're really part of our tribe. And that's important because there's a lot of good resumes from really bright people with great credentials. You'd say, wow, they are really amazing. We should hire them. But then you say, but are they one of us? Are they part of our tribe? And so we interview to see if these core values are really their core values. They really are going to fit in with us because only when you have a team that fits together and likes each other and enjoys being together, are you going to have a successful firm and a happy company? So we really work with giving raises and and promotions, looking at our, our case strategies. We apply all these things and we we talk them through all the time. And I think it's it's taken a little while to that to seep into everybody who comes in, especially new people, that we're actually living these values, but it's critical. And I'll say this, and I know you know this, with COVID, with everybody going home and nobody being in the office anymore, we sent, you know, 35 people home one day, gone, bye. How do you hold your culture? How do you hold your values? How do you hire new people and indoctrinate them into who you are? It has been a really fun and big challenge for us to kind of create our culture on steroids so that you can smell it, see it, touch it, even from your home every day. And I think that's been been critical to helping everybody in our office live their best life and to know our values and to stay cohesive. Awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. But when we come back, I want to pick your brain a little bit because you do such great work with the bar and with the rules and innovation and changes. And let's talk about how that could impact players. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. It's hard to keep up with trends when you're rushing to court and helping clients, but new cases hinge on topping the results page. You need a marketing partner to keep you informed and your firm growing. That partner is Postali. And you should know about Google Local Service ads. LSAs connect you with folks searching for nearby legal services. LSAs show up at the top of the page, higher than maps and other listings. And the best part, you only pay if you're contacted through the ad. 
Appearing when somebody searches for lawyers near me has never been easier or more affordable, letting you focus on the law. LSAs are a great addition to existing PPC efforts or a standalone initiative. Quickly initiated by the Postali team, LSAs and a partnership with Postali can get your firm where it belongs. To learn more about LSAs and Postali services, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. All right, Patrick. So we're back and you've had a whole host of, of roles. You've been the president of the State Bar Association for Washington State. You've also, as part of that, been a member of the National Conference of Bar Presidents. And I know you've served on the ABA Center for Innovation Board and the Data Standards Committee. So much good work that you're doing to really move our profession forward and think about how our rules impact how we're running our businesses. And so I wanted to get sort of the latest from you, like what's going on with these rule changes or where do you see things happening? Because maybe not everyone's following it as closely as, as they should be. Yeah, thank you for that, Stephanie. I, I This is one of my favorite topics because early on in my career, you know, we talked about making time for exercise and those kind of things. Making time to volunteer to make a difference in your profession has been a big part of my motivation to, to create systems. So I have time to go out and do the things that are really going to change our profession and make it a better place to be. And, and there's a lot we can do both to help our profession and to help those people that we're supposed to be helping, right? There's this access to justice gap that everyone knows about. Yep. There is, you know, three quarters of our country that needs legal services at least once a year, if not multiple times a year, and yet can't get it. And we're not we're not making any step towards it. We have fallen farther and farther behind every year. So what's the solution? That's one of those things that I've been working on both as my office as a laboratory. Can I find a new model where we can say not how do we charge more, but how do we charge less? Not how do we help a couple of people have more money, but how do we help everybody, particularly people that don't? It's part of developing that new model. But it you can't do it alone in one office. It takes an entire shift. And there is a shift occurring right now nationally. And it's being pushed by whole states that have seen the light and a new model and a new way to both help lawyers become more prosperous and make more money and to help people at a lower cost who need our services desperately. And if there ever was a perfect union of of need, here we are, right? Here we are. And so states like Utah and Arizona and California, states like Connecticut, Michigan, and Florida are, are, are either doing or studying ways on which to change some of the rules that exist because they seem more like prison walls, keeping us away from being able to really be successful 
than they are protections. And, and I ask sometimes in a real that's like, who are they protecting? We say we're protecting consumers, but we're actually keeping ourselves away from consumers often in this. So what if we took down the walls, took down the barriers and allowed ourselves really to help the people in the way they need help? Wouldn't that be terrific for our profession and for our sole practitioners to be out there being able to do a broader scope of of work, hire more people, bring in partners that aren't lawyers? I know it's that crazy talk, but look, (laughs) I know you ask one question, I, I can go on for a while on this, but let me just take this one concept. We have two two of many problems. One is we really don't have any standards by which to measure innovation and success. And the other problem is we're trying to do it ourselves. And we our profession doesn't seem to recognize the words, we're just lawyers. It's, of course, we're lawyers. It's what we do. We're lawyers. But we don't do everything. We're good at being lawyers, we're not good at all the rest, the, the, the you know, marketing, for example, right? right. Te- technology, business systems. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pieces. The list is endless. Whatever company you want to pick up and you look through the departments, those are all run by people who are experts in those departments and lawyers somehow think that the one size fits all. And uh, I'm desperately trying to get out of that concept. And so are these state courts around the country changing that model that with partnerships with other types of industries, with partnerships with other experts, with partnerships with those who have money that can invest in us so that we can have a better product and a better service to help more people, that we all prosper. And I am fully engaged in that process with the Center for Innovation, which is the ABA Center for Innovation, which is charged with with helping create and, and facilitate innovation. And also with the National Conference of Bar Presidents, which is the organization that helps grows, grow and train leadership and bar presidents nationwide. And those two platforms are really critical, I think, not just for me, but for the profession to help grow our profession in a way that's very positive for everybody. So what do you say, because I'm sure there's some people out there that are like, this all sounds good and fine and well, but I live in X state and we're going to be the last to change or, you know, this is going to take forever. I don't really think these changes are coming and maybe they're just kind of sitting back. I don't know. What advice would you give that person? Should they be thinking about their business differently now? Yeah, I think when... I mean, it's already happening in Utah and, and Arizona. There's already new business models. There's already the, 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 the sandbox. There's new companies, new models. It's happening. And then it, that's going to continue to, to, to happen across the country. And so if you're in, let's say, Georgia or Minnesota, right? Yeah. And <laughs> let's just say, and you're wondering, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait until it happens to come my direction. I would say, don't wait. This is the time for all of us to be working on our business model, all of us to find ways. I mean, Legal Zoom, for example, who's working on their business model, isn't, didn't just stay here in the U.S. waiting for things to change. They continued to, to grow in the U.S. and then moved to the U.K. and opened up there. And now they're really developing a model that that works in that system so that when our system changes and looks more like that, they're ready to go. We should all be like that. I'm I am constantly changing my practice so that I'm ready for the day when we're not stuck in this model of practice that we're in. When it happens, we're good to go. And and frankly, every step that we take is better for us now anyway. 
I, I love that. I'm excited for the changes and, and anxious. You know, I know that some people, it just scares them, right? I mean, it's just there's fear in change. And lawyers, we tend to like our precedent. We like what's always happened before. And so there's people out there that this really freaks them out. But yeah, I'm excited for it. Let me give you this one small example that is an easy model for anybody. We are constantly looking for new systems to do what we do better. And it started some years ago when I would reach out to some tech company outside of law and say, I don't know how to do this. Do you know how to do this? They're like, well, yeah, we know how to do this, but there's nobody else you know, doing it in law. Like, well, why don't you tell you what? I'll make you a deal. Let's create one for me and for every lawyer in the country that's like me. You charge me a little bit and I will help you make that a system for everybody or at least 10 people or maybe a state or whatever. And so we develop a tool that's good for good for my office and we work on it and we model it and we tweak it. And it's not a big deal and it's not a big cash outlay. And when you find partners in tech who think you have a good idea and a way to change a system, you know, they're often in. It's a good investment for them too. And so you create partners in places to help build better systems to make your company more more efficient and effective and productive. At the same time, you're reaching out to other experts who have all the tools that can help you do that. And then they can go take that product and use it any way they want to use it. And everybody gets a win-win. Small example, not a big deal. Anybody can do it. Even Clio does it on a, on a daily basis where you say, Cleo, I, I like your system, but I wish they had, you know, I don't know, an, a, a billing button where I could just push it and, and bill faster. Right. And so Cleo builds that for you. Guess what? You just had a partnership with a software manufacturer and created a new system to make your office and everyone else's office better. There's big and small ideas of that, but those are the kind of things we can all do that get us ready for the next wave of change and innovation and all the while continue to make us more efficient and more productive and help more people. For sure. But that time for those ideas to develop won't come if you're in pleading land, right? If you're back in your business, like we're kind of where we started. We've now come full circle because it's those those solutions, those big ideas are going to only come to you when you get off the conveyor belt and give yourself time to step back and and think for yourself and connect with the other. I mean, I love that you reach out to, you know, in your case, I know you've reached out to other industries, but also lawyers. You've come to our events in the past and there's real value to sort of surrounding yourself with people who are thinking differently and not just hearing the same thing that you hear everywhere else. And and can I say this too? You mentioned the word more than once, the fear. It, it, it's out there. We're scared of change. We're scared of things we're not used to. We're scared of things that we don't know about. And again, this life, work, life thing, I have a mantra that I use throughout my life, which is one brave thing. Can you do one brave thing every day, right? And I know people who live their lives this way who do really, really brave things. I try to do small brave things, something that maybe I'm scared of or something I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And if I can find something every day and put that on my plate and then accomplish it by the end of the day, every day, if you just do a little nudge forward incrementally, you can make really big changes in your life and feel good about who you are and what you've achieved and how you've overcome things in your business, in your private life, in your family life. One brave thing every day. And that little mantra has done a great deal for me. That's a great, that's great. A great place for us to wrap up. Would love as for our listeners, what one, what one brave thing are you going to do? Maybe we can get folks to 
to respond and, and I'll share all the responses we get with you, Patrick, because I know that you've just inspired a whole bunch of lawyers who are listening and thinking, yeah, I could do that. I love that idea. All right. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you so much for, for inviting me on. Such a pleasure always to talk with you and be part of this. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.